episode 27 of the Online Chicken School podcast. Today we're trying to figure out how do you go on vacation when you have chickens? It's time for the Online Chicken School podcast. Whether you've been keeping chickens for years or you're just fixing to get started, we'll help you get your schooling. And now, here's the chicken tenders, Don and Susie. Hello, I'm Don, the big chicken tender. And I'm Susie, the little chicken tender. If you're interested in backyard chickens, you're in the right place. Doesn't matter if you have a whole lot of chickens out in the country or just a few somewhere in the city. This is where we share our knowledge, experience, and opinions to help you get the most out of your backyard flock. Okay, well, we are back. Hello, everybody. Susie and I went on vacation two weeks ago, and before you think that we were kind of lazy and just didn't put out an episode last week because we had vacation, that's not correct. You would be wrong. We actually were really diligent about putting together an extra podcast episode to play while we were on vacation, and then we came back from vacation, and I got sick and lost my voice, and that went on for a couple days, and then Susie got sick and lost her voice. Well, and when it started coming back... It was like that real deep, who's like a deep singer has a real deep voice. It was freaky deep. I've been like, boy, people are going to think I'm like your brother or something recording. So we decided, uh, why don't we wait till we're fully healed up and put out an episode. So that's why we missed last week. Sorry, everybody. We're back. We're back now. Well, we got another email from Justin. If you remember him, he's our good listener in New York, and he got into chicken keeping when he found two Australorps just wandering around his neighborhood and decided to keep them. And if you haven't heard his story, you can go back and hear that whole thing on episode 22. It's worth listening to. Definitely. And Justin has two questions this week. First, we were chatting back and forth about two raised coops he's using, and he says... In my case, I don't have grass. What would you recommend for litter? I hear dirt, wood chips, or sand. I'm using dirt, but it seems to compact with the poop and stuff. I have to go in and move it around, otherwise the ammonia level gets crazy. I hear sand is easier, but bad for their lungs. Wood chips collect pests like mites, etc. Well, Justin, in regards to litter, my first choice is... Pine shavings. Well, actually, let me correct that. My first choice is not to have any litter at all and to have them on grass because it's so much easier to clean, but you don't have that option. So I would say pine shavings. And as you mentioned, one of the downside is mites. But mites can be controlled, um, and it's not too difficult. When you clean your coop, and every week between the time you've cleaned it and you're going to clean it again, sprinkle some food-grade diatomaceous earth over it, And regardless of what litter you use, you're going to want to be checking your hens for mites at least once a month anyway to be able to catch them and head it off before it becomes an infestation. And as for sand, some people like it because you can just scoop out the clumps like it was kitty litter and you don't have as much to change, really. But as you mentioned, there is some concern about the dustiness of sand and respiratory problems with your flock. So we've never used sand as a litter medium and quite frankly, just would avoid that. Well, and you've got dirt now, which is kind of what happens with a stationary coop. You put it out in your backyard over grass, and then as they trample it and eat it, it becomes dirt. Um, and then when it rains, it could become mud. And with bare dirt, you're still going to have to go in there and clean it out every once in a while. 
And since you have a small raised run, it will probably need to be cleaned out often just because there's not a giant run to spread it all out. And as you mentioned, if you don't keep moving it around, the ammonia smell is going to creep up on you. Well, so that's why we prefer pine shavings. Um, as far as disposing of them, you know, you can compost them, um, give them to friends for their garden after it's uh, sat for a little while. But pine shavings- That shav- is like the worst present ever. I know. Wouldn't that be- uh- Unless they're really serious gardeners. Well, I think they'd have to be to be able to stomach Here. that gift. Here's a bag of poo and shavings <laughs> I got you for Christmas. That's worse than a lump of coal. I know. But some people really appreciate that. Justin goes on to say, the temperature here is 70 degrees during the day and 55 at night and dropping. Do you think if I put them out at this time of year, they won't make it through the winter? They are seven weeks old now. Well, Justin, I got to tell you, I am really jealous of those temperatures, but probably give it another month. You won't be jealous. And I won't be. (laughs) When it comes to cold temperatures, most chickens actually handle cold very, very well. I mean, much better than they handle the heat. But it sounds like what you're concerned about is the fact that they're just too young, being only seven weeks old. And that was last week, so they're up to a ripe old age of eight weeks now. Woohoo! And can they go outside that young? And really, with pullets and cockerels, it just depends on whether they're fully feathered out or not. They should be by now at seven, eight weeks old. Uh, usually, six is about the target number. So, but sometimes you get some slow pokes in there. Just check their heads, make sure that all the fuzz has been replaced by feathers. And if so, then they're pretty much good to go outside. Once they've got all their feathers in, they can fluff themselves up and they can actually make themselves very toasty warm, even when they're young and small. You don't want to wait too long to get them out there because if you wait until now it's dipping down to the 30s and you've been keeping them in the house all fall, then it's going to be quite a shock, more than it is now. So I would say now, as long as they're fully feathered, now is the time to get them out there. Well, and if you want, if you're a little paranoid, you can kind of transition them a little bit where you put them in the coop during the day when the temperatures are a little bit warmer, and then you can bring them in at night and keep them nice and toasty warm. You'd said that you have Australorps, Orpingtons, an Easter egg or a silky, a leghorn, a bard rock, and a Rhode Island red, which is quite a little uh, collection you've got after only finding two. (laughs) That's like the Brock's candy mix when you remember you used to go to the grocery store and yep. the pick-a-mix. Oh, I love that. That's a pick-a-mix chicken flock. You always had the sticky coconut ones. What was up with those? That's not candy as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I know you don't like those. The breed of the chicken does play a little bit of a role in cold hardiness. Your Australorps, Orpingtons, Silkies, Bardrock, and your Rhode Island Red, they are all pretty cold hardy. Your Leghorn, on the other hand, is not quite as cold hardy as the others, but still they should be able to handle temperatures pretty much down to freezing. You're not quite there toward the freezing point yet. And the thing you're going to have to watch for over the winter, especially with your large single comb breeds, is going to be frostbite. That's the big thing that you're concerned about. Well, and that brings up a little teaser because in the next few weeks, we're going to be doing an episode all about winter prepping your coop and ways to keep your chickens warm, even if it goes below freezing. But for now, I wouldn't worry about putting them outside. As long as they're fully feathered, get them out there. Those lazy birds, don't get them too comfortable. They'll be like children. They never leave the house then. (laughs) That's right. You don't want them living in your basement forever. Get them outside and uh, keep an ear out for the episode. We'll talk more about how to get your chickens through the winter. 
In the last episode, we talked about something very exciting to me, Eggtoberfest, which is a month-long celebration celebration of eggs. So to continue that, I've got actually two recipes for you today because last week we missed and it's not you guys' fault, so I didn't want you to miss out on an excellent or excellent recipe. That's really bad. <laughs> I know. That is so bad. I need to go back on vacation. <laughs> so the first one, I don't even know how you say this, hazel omeletten. Well, hazel omeletten, of course. Oh, well, you are German. Uh, it's a hazelnut omelet, and that may sound weird, but it's actually kind of a sweet omelet that you top with... Uh, stewed berries so it'll be on the sweeter side and then the other one is beet deviled eggs with smoked blue cheese now those are going to look really fancy because you use pickled beets and those are really really purple so your interior of your egg is going to look just fancy and then it's topped with the smoked blue cheese and blue cheese goes on absolutely everything absolutely so for the recipes because we don't want to go into the whole thing. It would take the whole episode. You can go to onlinechickenschool.com slash recipes and you'll find the one from two weeks ago and these two recipes waiting for you. Okay, one last thing before we get onto the main feature today. We had a really, really nice review on iTunes. And this one came in, I think it was just a couple days before we went on vacation. And you know when you're getting ready for vacation and it's like, oh, I'm so tired of packing. And then we got this review and it just pepped us up and made us smile. And here it is. It's from Rachel. And she says, I'm new to backyard chickens and like most of us, very thirsty for knowledge and anything chicken related. After multiple online searches for chicken related podcasts, I stumbled upon Don and Susie's online chicken school. In less than a week, I've listened to all of them and thirsting for more. They're able to present the material in a conversational, educational, and entertaining manner that makes the minutes of my commute fly by. Now I find myself with no more episodes to listen to, keep up the great work, and record more podcasts. Wow. After listening to that, I really think I should get more money for doing this podcast. (laughs) Really? Yes. I think, you know, and I actually trimmed out a few of the sentences she used in her review um, because she talked about other podcasts she listened to, and I'm just going to sum it up because I don't want to get too braggy. I'm just going to sum it up and say she thinks ours is the best, and she is clearly an educated woman. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell you what. How about I double your salary? You serious? Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. So you'll, you'll go from getting uh, one egg dish a week <laughs> to two egg dishes, which is what you're paid with now. <laughs> I get paid in eggs. Well, I binge podcasts. I mean, I binge listen like crazy and I'll find a podcast. And when I see that they've got 100 episodes, I'm like, awesome. This should get me through two weeks. (laughs) And then you're just waiting and you know when it's going to be released and you're like, come on, download. So I feel your pain, Rachel. Um, But we can only do it once a week. And I got to tell you, Don always mentions to put a nice review on iTunes for us at almost every episode. And it does help with you know, other people finding the podcast. But I tell you, for me, it just makes my day. So well, we joke about pay. This is Susie's pay. Yes. It's kind of like in the whole five love languages thing. <laughs> iTunes reviews is Susie's love language. Yeah, that's that's where I feel like I'm getting the payoff. And, and that may be an ego thing. But to me, I just love that people are getting something out of this. Because if we don't hear from you guys, we don't know. Yeah. 
So keep them coming, everybody. There they go again. More shameless self-promotion. Okay, for the main feature today, we are talking about strategies for going on vacation when you have a backyard flock. How do you care for those little chickens when you're going to go away for an entire week? And the reason we're talking about this today again, as we already mentioned, is... We just got back from vacation! We spent a full week on a cruise, which is our absolute favorite way to vacation. And we were on the Allure of the Seas, which is one of the biggest cruise ships on the planet. And this ship is actually so big, there's a total of like 8,000 passengers and crew. And it also carries a lot of chickens. Yeah, you'd be shocked how much chicken they serve on that ship. Yeah, they're all carried in the freezer. (laughs) That's right. And unfortunately, this cruise didn't go exactly as planned. We were supposed to go to St. Martin, but there was this little thing in the Caribbean called Hurricane Gonzalo. Thanks for that, Gonzalo. And he headed straight over the top of St. Martin the day we were supposed to be there. So they rerouted the ship and we ended up going to Jamaica Man instead. Yeah, which is really not the same. Not quite where we intended to go. Kind of a huge disappointment, but you kind of roll with it. I mean, that's one of the benefits of going on a cruise. You know, if there's really bad weather, go around it, go somewhere else. And since we were on the biggest cruise ship, we got priority in these ports because there's only so many we can fit into. So these poor little ships had to be out there and pick a different little island. Well, then on top of that, the next port they sent us to was... Cozumel, which we've been to about 132 different (laughs) times. And I won't mention the cruise line name, but you heard about it, I'm sure. It rhymes with... Schmarnival. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently the Schmarnival Ishmola was floating out there off of Cozumel. And they wouldn't let it come in because one of the passengers had a little Ebola scare. Mm -hmm. That's the times we're living in, my friend. Probably 4,000 people on that ship, all stuck on the ship, can't come ashore because they thought one person had Ebola. I would have been really angry. So it kind of put things in perspective that uh, just because our ship got moved from one place to another, not such a big deal. It was a good, it was a really good vacation. It really was and we needed it. So to get back on track here, uh, this brought up the issue of how are we going to go away for a week when we have a backyard flock? So we thought today would be a good time to share how we prepared and... Just managed to be away for a whole week. That's that's a tough one. Well, and Don being the planner for the animals, he really started thinking about this like months ago. And the thing is, if you know people who've kept chickens for a while, you'll hear some interesting schemes for going on vacation. We've heard a lot of different theories. And uh, my favorite is there's a couple down the street from us and they raise chickens. Uh, They breed them to sell. And I don't know, they must have about 100, I think. Oh, at least, yeah. Yeah. And they basically, uh, they've been married for a while and they go on separate vacations every year. Hmm. One of them goes on vacation and the other one will stay home and watch the flock and then they just switch. Well, I don't know. I don't think that's a real attractive option for us. But, you know, who knows? Maybe after you've been married for 50 years or so, maybe that starts looking a little more attractive. But for now, we can still take vacations together? Yes, I, I think we should. Okay, so maybe the first thing you think of when you ponder going on vacation is I'll just have somebody else who knows chickens take care of mine. And there's a couple of variations on that, but the, the probably most obvious one is I'll have a chicken keeper come to my farm and, or my backyard and they'll watch my chickens for me while I'm gone. Right. And that sounds like a great idea, but in our minds, the biggest problem with this concept is the biosecurity issue. 
We've discussed this a bunch of times on the podcast about how chickens are susceptible to a lot of contagious diseases, and you want to avoid having any contact between your flock and somebody else's flock. And what's the best way to bring someone else's flock to yours? Have someone that's been walking amongst their flock come to your house and walk amongst yours. There's a lot of dirty birds out there. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So not not a great option. No. I did not see it as a... Well, I got very excited when I saw this one sign. It said chicken babysitter. It was actually nailed to a telephone pole and it had a phone number. And I actually pulled over to the side of the road and I was writing down the number and then I went, oh, wait a minute. That person probably has chickens. And then I looked and they had a Craigslist ad as well. Sure enough, they have a huge flock of their own. Not to say that their birds are dirty. Just don't want to take the chance. Well, because you say, listen, they're a professional... So they probably have a clean flock, right? But that person is babysitting other people's flock. So it's not just their flock. It's last week they were watching Joe's flock. And then this week they're going to be watching your flock. Well, so now you've got the babysitter's flock. You've got Joe's flock. And every person they babysit is another potential contamination point. That's a really good point. Okay. Now there's another variation on this concept, which I find kind of funny. I think it's very entertaining. And interesting. Yeah. it's a. I think it's one of those things that at first it sounds like a good idea until you start to pull back the layers. Right. And this is the chicken hotel. Which, wow. Outside the box thinking for a business idea, right? Yeah. It's a really, really cool concept. And the idea is I have my farm and I have areas for all the chickens to come. So you go on vacation, you bring your flock to my place and the chickens stay with me where I can keep an eye on them. So what's the problem? Well, again, the biosecurity issue. I mean, they say that they, you know, spray everything out between chicken guests, but I don't know. I I put so much time and effort and money into my chickens. I just don't want to take a chance on somebody else's cleaning procedures. Well, that's the thing. Is it possible that they could do it correctly? Yes, it absolutely is possible. However, when you learn about things, we always keep going back to MG. That's not the only one, but it's almost the the most insidious one. So we'll kind of keep going back to MG. And it's really prevalent. The little MG critters can live in your nose for four days, three or four days, which means you can take a shower in between, you can do whatever in between, but still they could accidentally transmit from one to the other. Just one little slip in their precautions and now you have the possibility of uninfected flock. They could jump out of the guy's nose, jump onto your chicken. It's possible. That's gross. Listen, I've seen weirder things jump out of people's noses (laughs) when they're talking. That's a different podcast. (laughs) So you say, okay, well, what if, let's take the scenario that your flock has MG. You know it has MG. You've decided to just kind of deal with it. Well, now you're becoming a chicken bioterrorist yourself because you're taking your flock and taking it to somebody else where where it could knowingly contaminate somebody else's flocks. Right. Well, it kind of starts to look like uh, we're back to taking separate vacations because you can't have an experienced chicken keeper manage your flock and you can't bring them to a hotel. The reality is chickens just don't need a whole lot of knowledgeable supervision. You don't have to be an avian biologist. Uh, Chickens are really one of the easiest animals to care for. If you have some, you probably already know this. It's actually much more difficult and much more time-consuming for someone to come over and take care of our dogs while we're gone than it is to take care of our chickens. Absolutely. And those three maniacs are a handful. (laughs) They are. They'll lick you to death before you even get through the gate. 
So here's a list of things that we had to think about because you want to think about the basics, what they're going to need to survive for a whole week. First one, food. Yes. We have 40 chickens and they're broken down into seven smaller flocks, each with their own chicken tractor. And what we did was evaluate each one of those little chicken communities and run tests to see how much feed they would consume in a week. So by the time the crews came around, we knew that the Light Sussex needed a 12-pound feeder full of food. We knew the General So only needed a 10-pound feeder, and that was plenty. We knew the Reds needed this much. We knew every little chicken community how much food they needed to make it through a week and have a comfortable amount left over. We measured like every day, okay, how much food did they go through today? And then at the end of the week, okay, it looks like we're going to be okay with this feeder. Another one you'd say, oh, shoot, they're out on Friday. They're going to need a little bit more because they got two more days. So it was a shuffling of equipment throughout the tractors and it worked. It was a little bit of chaos, bouncing feeders back and forth between coops and trying to figure out, well, these guys don't need this big a one. These ones do. <laughs> and I was sure we were going to have to go buy some more feeders, but actually we didn't end up having to do that. We had enough to make it all work. It worked out perfect. And remember, if you're using chicken tractors and you have them on grass, you got to keep in mind how often you move them when you conduct your tests. Because if you're moving them every three days and they're getting all that new fresh grass, uh, you're on vacation. You're not going to be moving them. So they have to get by on feed alone after they've picked over all the grass. That's a good point. You need to make sure that however you conduct your little test week, you need to make sure that all the conditions are going to be reasonably the same as when you're gone. Okay, the next thing that they're going to need to get by for the week, obviously, is water. And just like with the feed, we ran tests several weeks before to see how much water they're going to be drinking during a full week. That was probably the biggest question mark is how much water do these guys drink in a full week? We had no idea. We were always big on filling the water every two days. So we added three gallon buckets that I got from a local bakery uh, that had lids. And Don added the chicken nipples uh, to the bottom of each of the buckets and we added them to the tractors. One tractor even required a second three-gallon bucket because they just drank so much water in a week. And chicken tractors can be kind of small and compact. We have a few of those where there's really not a lot of room in there for a big water or a big feeder. But fortunately, the ones that held the most amount of chickens were pretty big enough where we could add a second bucket of water, a second feeder uh, to make that all work. And one thing I want to point out is you want to make sure that you do your testing for feed and water in similar weather conditions that you're expecting when you go away. You don't want to test all this out in the middle of winter and then go away in the middle of summer because it's going to be different. They're going to eat a different amount of food and they're going to drink a different amount of water. Right. In the summer, they're going to drink much more water than they do the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, in the winter, they're actually going to eat more feed than they do. It's the reverse. So you don't want to say, hey, I happen to know from this summer's testing that they go through 12 pounds of feed in a week and then go away in the wintertime and find out, <laughs> oh, they actually eat about 16 pounds of feed right. in the winter. Well, and we lucked out because it had been such a hot summer, but the week we were gone, it actually cooled off to the low 80s. It went from like 96 every day to the low 80s. So that actually helped with our water. They had plenty, but they didn't run out. That's for sure. Well, and one other thing we did, because it had been so hot and we weren't sure what the week was going to be like that we were gone, we actually added some electrolytes to their water, which makes the water wetter, 
or waterier. <laughs> Helps it go a little further for them. I was worried that it was going to make it more delicious and they would drink more of it. Well, that could have been too, but it didn't. Okay, so we weren't concerned with water. We weren't concerned with feed. If you just pile it up, they'll meter it out and eat it as they need it. They won't be like our maniac dogs who, if you put a week's worth of food out at one time, they'll literally eat the entire week's worth of food in one afternoon. Yeah. Um, so that's not a big deal. Here's the part where I was the most concerned is with egg collection. Well, and the main reason we were concerned about that is if you have eggs pile up and one of them breaks and they go, ooh, what is that deliciousness? They're going to start eating it. And then once you've got an egg eater on your hands, you are going to have a whole lot of trouble because it's incredibly hard, if impossible, to break a hen from eating her own eggs. Maybe not impossible, but it's a it's a chore and a chore you don't want to come home to. So if possible, you just don't want to leave all the eggs piling up there. You could say, look, I don't care if I eat them. They could rot and I'll throw them away when I get home. But it's that egg eating situation that I was the most concerned about of just leaving the eggs there. Well, and even let's say the hens don't go after the eggs. You're going to have ants cover in that nesting box. It's just going to be a huge mess. You can attract snakes. Yes. Rats. Everybody loves eggs. Yeah. Just like chicken. So this is one area where having someone come and check in on them is incredibly beneficial. I mean, it's collecting eggs. So you don't need to be an experienced chicken keeper or an avian, what did you say? An, an avian biologist. Avian biologist, which good things. I don't know any of those around here. So we decided, how about we ask our wonderful neighbor who loves animals to come over and collect the eggs for us. She gets some yummy, delicious eggs, and we get to know someone's collecting the eggs who doesn't have chickens, so it's not going to be a biosecurity issue. Because she don't got no chickens. <laughs> because she doesn't have any chickens, and as a bonus, she loves her dogs. Yeah, so really, the big effort she put in was coming over and feeding our dogs twice yeah. a day. And then while she was here, look in the egg boxes and just pull any eggs out. Right. But if we didn't, if you don't have dogs, someone will come over and collect the eggs. If you give them the opportunity, find someone who likes eggs and but doesn't have chickens. Mm -hmm. Trust me, they will come over there. Right. Especially if you start like three or four months ahead of time, start giving them a couple eggs a week. You'd yeah. be like wetting their appetite for it. Yeah. And they say, I don't it. want no stinking store eggs anymore. I'm taking all <laughs> these ones. Well, and we tried to make it a little bit easier for her since she was so gracious to come over twice a day. We gave her our golf cart, you know, so she could right. drive over. We gave her a, a gate opener so she didn't have to like go through any trouble. It's like just ride around on the golf cart, collect the eggs, feed the dogs, you know, hope you have a good time. <laughs> this is another area where the time of year helped us out because the hens have slowed down in their egg production. They're not laying as many eggs as they were a month ago. So there wasn't as much for her to haul back. She didn't have as many eggs to pluck out of all the boxes and... But I did feel bad about that because it's like, hey, come on over, collect the eggs. You're expecting like five or six a day. And it's like, wait, she's like three on a good day now. Okay, but she she doesn't need three eggs a day. I don't know. I mean, what are you trying to do to this poor woman's cholesterol? <laughs> I don't think she's the type to have a six egg omelet every day. Well, maybe not. <laughs> I still did feel bad. So I think it worked out. Good. Okay, so here's another area that you have to sort of think about a little bit, and that is security. And everybody's setup for security is a little bit different. M most people 
have their hens locked up at night. You open up the door in the morning, you close it at night to lock them all in. Uh, who's going to do that? Is somebody going to do that? Now, with most breeds that can handle confinement, you could keep them locked in the coop for a week. It's not the greatest option for them, but That's, it can be done. Now, you could go the other direction and maybe you keep the doors open the entire week so that they can go in and out at will. This might boost your predator risk. You know, if, if your chickens are free-ranging, there's nothing to deter a predator. Hopefully, if you have a coop and run or if you have a chicken tractor, they would be able to get out in the run area so they still have some protection, but it's not as much as being locked in a coop. So you're still rolling the dices a little bit there if you just leave the coop door open all the time. Right, and I think if I was on vacation, I would be a little nervous about that. I think I'd be worrying about them not totally able to relax. So if you're going to keep the doors open, you may want to try and add like another level of deterrence. So you could add a skirt around the edge of your coop and run area, a skirt of like hardware cloth, which will help to deter the digging of a predator. Um, you could also add anti-predator lights, those little red lights that look like eyeballs. And one predator will say, oh, there's another predator over there getting ready to eat the chickens. I'll try again some other time. Um, that could work. Motion lights may scare something away. That may be another idea um, of something to add to help for your security. Now, the last time we went on vacation, we only had one chicken coop. That's how long ago our last vacation was. And the chicken tractor we had was more conventional in the fact that you would lock them up at night and then let them into the run area. The run area was protected, but not nearly as protected as the coop itself. And we just decided to leave it open. So they did have the ability to go in and out, but we had the dogs as a level of protection. I think we also did do a skirt around the outside. Mm -hmm. And so we just added a couple layers of defense. Now we're to the place where all the time, none of our chickens are locked in technically in a coop like that because our chicken tractors are all open floor. Right. So they're technically speaking in the run all the time as far as predators are concerned. That's true. There's no such thing as a locked up box that they stay in that they can't get into. Mm -hmm. But um, you really have to look at your situation and know your neighborhood, know your predators. Well, and there's also automatic doors. We actually tried this uh, before we decided to keep our coop open on that one chicken tractor for our vacation. We had tried using one of those automatic door closers. And we tried every way we could to hook that thing up and it just would not work. And I don't know if that's, we're just not, we weren't savvy at the time. I don't think that one was as sophisticated as the ones they have out now. Um, last year, there were a couple of designs out for those and they were, I'd say a little sloppy. Yeah, they were very fragile. There is one that's out now. I just saw an ad for it. And unfortunately, I don't know the name of it because I'm not doing an advertisement for it. <laughs> But uh, there was one that had sort of a an automatic door. It wasn't just the mechanism to raise and lower a door. Usually it's like, here, here's a little motor that you can attach to your door. And you build the door to slide up and down and all that kind of thing. And it, there's too many ways that can get bound up. This one literally was an entire package. It had the door, it had the opener, and the door just literally swung out instead of going sliding mm -hmm. up and down. And it would slide open or it would swing open. And then at the right time, you programmed it, it would swing shut. If we suddenly had to have the kind of coops where they were locked in a box all night and so predators couldn't get to them, I would seriously look at that kind. They were probably 
I bet you it was 125 bucks, hmm. which is a little pricey if you're going to do nine coops. Right. But if you have one coop in your backyard and you just have your backyard flock, um, I would spend $125 to know that they're going to be safe while I'm on vacation. Well, and I'd spend $125, so I wouldn't have to be closing it up every night, even when I'm home. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> and that brings up a good point is if you are going to do an automatic door, don't install it three days before you go on vacation. Really put it in and weeks ahead of time right. and make sure it works all the time. That's how we found out ours didn't. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get to use it on vacation because it broke before we went on vacation. Several times. The next thing you want to consider is your chicken's health. Um, you're going to want to do a parasite check a month before you go, because let's say a month before you go, you find out your chickens have mites. Well, it takes two treatments to get rid of the mites. So you want to be able to find the problem, correct the problem before you leave. Yeah. You don't want to find out three days before you go on vacation that they have mites and now you can do a first treatment, but you can't do a second one until you get back and you want to take care of those problems before you leave. Absolutely. Another thing to consider before you go on vacation is the stress of your birds. Try to avoid changing things around too much. You know, I've been talking about moving feeders around, moving waters around. We even took two hens that we had that used to be on their own and put them with a mating trio so that they could go into a larger chicken tractor. But they were friends long before we put them together. Right. Every time we let them out in the evenings, we would let those two coops out together because they got along. Yeah. So those five chickens knew each other, knew each other well, and we put them together. Don't take chickens that aren't usually housed together or play together and throw them together right before mm -hmm. you leave because that's going to create a stressful environment. Well, and even the chickens we knew that would get along, we still put them together. A well, month. yeah, it was a month before we went on vacation just to make sure there weren't going to be any problems to check on them, to, to make sure they're getting along. And thankfully, they're, they're tight. They're a family. Okay, so chickens are really easy to take care of. That's what makes this whole thing work. That's why you can go on vacation and don't have to take separate vacations. But keeping a flock of chickens is a lot like flying in the fact that flying, we always say, is 99% boredom interrupted by 1% sheer terror. <laughs> Another flying analogy, everybody. And the application for chickens is they're really easy to care for. Nothing ever goes wrong. They don't really take up a lot of your time. But then when something does go wrong, it suddenly requires a lot of attention. So you do want to plan for unusual situations that could come up while you're gone. And maybe your plan is, I just hope nothing happens while I'm gone. <laughs> but that's not the best plan. Well, when we had our neighbor over, obviously you want to have whoever's going to be taking care of your chickens come over and actually physically see what they need to do. So we had her come over, kind of showed her each of the, the tractors and, you know, where you collect the eggs from, because it's different on a couple of them. And then talked about like, these chickens get out a lot. She was not going to be letting them out of their uh, tractor during that week. So what happens if one of them runs out because they are quick little buggers when they want to get out and play. Yeah, our plan was that the chickens were going to all stay in their tractors all week long. But what does she do if suddenly chickens get out? And our advice was, try as hard as you can not to let them out. If they get out, just let them stay out until nighttime. They will go back in and then shut the door behind them. 
Yeah. Don't take the day off from work chasing him around trying no. to figure out how to get, you know, eight chickens back into a coop. Because we've actually tried to get him back in the coop after they got out first thing in the morning. Forget about it. They were all over the yard. You get all sweaty. You have to take a whole other shower. It's just not worth it. Well, and we've been back for a week, but we actually haven't seen our neighbor because we try not to get everybody around to six. Since we were <laughs> sick, we've been, we've emailed back and forth, but we haven't seen her face to face. And she sent an email, said everything was fine. The dogs were all wonderful. But she says, I have to tell you a story about how I came over and Max, who's one of our dogs, our biggest dog, got himself stuck in one of the chicken tractors. And she won't tell us over the email how it happened. She's like, I got to tell you what I see you. So I can't imagine how on earth that happened, but I'm dying to find out. I really want to know. And I'm like, why didn't you take a picture? That would have been the <laughs> funniest thing ever. But it's like, you know, it just goes to show you that things don't go according to plan because the plan was don't ever open the chicken coops for any reason. And then you come back to, by the way, one of your dogs got stuck in one of the chicken coops. <laughs> like, okay. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> Something doesn't match up there. Right. You know, this whole deal with unusual situations, it applies to emergencies as well. I mean, that's the big thing you're worried about. Right. Um, like I said, you could just hope that an emergency doesn't happen, but that's not really the Boy Scout way of handling things. That's right. Be prepared. Girl Scouts, too. We were taught that. What about brownies? Do they learn to be prepared? Uh, brownies is just kind of like a first step to Girl Scouts. So you don't really get into anything other than like, let's make s'mores and fun stuff like that. But you want to make sure that whoever you have taking care of your chickens knows where your chicken first aid kit is that you're putting together uh, in case one of them is bleeding when they come over, you know, show them all the things in the kit. Like, here's the blood stop. Here's what you would use for that. Um, just kind of go over basic things. Don't freak them out because they don't have chickens of their own. So you don't want them to think that they're going to come over and there's going to be major problems, but at least have something where they know that they can go to if there's a minor problem. Yeah, here's a box of weird medical stuff. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing you can do is, you know, when chickens get sick, you kind of need to quarantine them, but you don't leave up a quarantine area all year round waiting for them. We don't. If you have a chicken that's sick, we'll put together a little quarantine box for them to be in, you know, a dog kennel with a feeder and a waterer. Um, you're going to be gone, so... Maybe this is a little extreme, but you might want to set up a little quarantine kennel that will be easy to use. It's already set up. It already has a feeder in it, already has a water in it. So just in case one of the chickens gets sick or gets injured, probably injury more than anything else, because if it's bleeding at all, you don't want it around the other chickens where they'll start pecking at it and picking at it. You know, say, look, if you have a problem like that, just take that chicken out of the coop, put it in this box here in the garage. It's already set up. It's already got food in it. It's already got water in it. Is that a little bit extreme? Maybe until something happens. Right. Then it's not so extreme anymore. Well, one of the great ideas that Don had that I didn't think of is, you know, we have the neighbor coming over. She has no experience with chickens. We prepared her as much as we could. We showed her everything. But then he also gave her the number to an experienced chicken keeper in the area. Chicken tech support. <laughs> so that if there is some kind of major problem... You know, you're not having the experienced chicken keeper come over to the house because of the biosecurity reasons, but have her call and say, hey, this is a situation I'm running into. I'm watching Don and Susie's chickens and this happened. Is it something to worry about? So at least you have an experienced chicken keeper that the person can describe the problem to and they can tell them no big deal or here's what you do and kind of put their mind at ease a little bit. There's a lot of situations that can be solved with just a little advice over the phone. Absolutely. 
And you might want to let the chicken tech support person know that it's a possibility that your babysitter is going to be calling. Always a good idea. Surprise! Out of the blue, 3.30 in the morning, I have a chicken emergency. <laughs> Who are you? We did not do this and nothing bad happened, but just for next time, instead of just bringing the person over and going through all the sort of scenarios, it'd be a really good idea to write down all the scenarios, write down all the instructions, write down the phone number for her. So that she has something to refer back to. Yeah, that's very good advice. The last thing I want to talk about is I think the time of year you choose to take vacation can make it a lot easier or a lot harder. We already talked a little bit about, you know, water consumption, food consumption during the winter, during the summer. You know, those you can plan for. You can always put bigger feeders, add another feeder, add more waters, not have as much. So those aren't critical. However, if you're gone during the absolute heat of summer, it's going to be more difficult for your babysitter to take care of your chickens. There's going to be more problems that could pop up that they're not prepared for. If you're gone in the dead of winter, there could be more problems when suddenly there's a really cold snap and you got to go put Vaseline on all your chicken combs. Uh, your babysitter may not be up for that and quite frankly, may not even show up to do that. Well, and it's not nice to have them come over when it's a blizzard right. or a horrible <laughs> snowstorm and go, hey, hope you like that one egg you got out of all that. Suddenly she turns into Danny Glover. I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> That's right. So while we do take vacations at different times of the year, the ones that we're going to be away from the farm for a week, we plan for spring and fall because it's just the easiest time to take care of the flock. And you have the least number of sort of climate emergencies that tend to pop up. That's right. That's very good advice. But needless to say, our vacation was wonderful. The chickens were just fine. Our neighbor got a bunch of eggs and got to play with the dogs. So it Max somehow got stuck in a chicken coop. <laughs> and it just goes to show you that if you do a little bit or a lot of planning ahead of time, you can go on vacation and you can even go on vacation with your spouse. Wow. You don't have to take separate vacations just to go get away from your chickens for a week. If your husband tells you... Listen, honey, we got to take separate vacations because can't do this chicken thing, you know. Hit him with a frying pan. That's right. Now you have some ammo to say, uh, yeah, you can. Don and Susie did it. You can, you schlub. <laughs> okay, well, as always, thank you for listening. And if you like the show, do what Rachel did. Go over to iTunes and give us a really nice review and a nice rating over there. And as always, if you didn't like the show, then don't. So if you want to see the show notes for this episode, go to onlinechickenschool.com slash 27 or onlinechickenschool.com slash recipes for those wonderful Eggtoberfest recipes. That's all for today. Talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Online Chicken School podcast. Look for us on the web at onlinechickenschool.com.